was in another lifetime, one of toil and blood. When blackness was a virtue, the road was full of mud. I came in from the wilderness, a creature void of form. Come in, she said, I'll give you shelter from the storm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special Christmas edition of the Tobolowski Files. My name is David Chen. Uh, I'm the host of the Slash Filmcast at SlashFilm.com. And you have joined us here in one of the most interesting storytelling podcasts on the Internet, where character actor Stephen Tobolowski tells tales about life, love, and the entertainment industry. Joining me today, as always, he played the mayor of Beverly Hills in the HBO original series Entourage, Stephen Tobolowski, thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. Such a pleasure. You know, uh, yesterday I ordered takeout food from a Lebanese place down the road from me. Uh-huh. And the woman who gave me the takeout food said, oh, my gosh, you're the mayor of Beverly Hills. I just watched it in Entourage. And I do have a funny little remembrance of that is the girl I, I don't know if you people have seen that but in the in that entourage I end up on a date with a girl who's really a guy and uh, and we find out she's a guy at the end because we do one of those Britney Spears shots where she's coming out of the car and TMZ is there and they photograph under her skirt and we see that there is more equipment there than one would expect from a beautiful model, which is who this woman was. She was a Russian model from Kiev. And this was, she could barely speak English. And this was her first job in America playing this uh, transvestite. And she, she had her iPhone and it was 1 a.m. And they were attaching the appliance under her skirt and the makeup people were adjusting it and trying to make it look real and all of this. And she handed her iPhone down to the makeup and prop people that were working on her and said, could you please take a picture of this for me? And they'd sna <laughs> they snapped the picture under her skirt. And then she started speaking in Russian and pressing her iPhone and... Uh, when she hung up, I said, what were you doing? And she said, I was sending the picture back to my mother in Russia. I wanted her to know I made it in Hollywood. So I thought that was delightful that that was her first job. Yeah, that sounds like, uh, well, hopefully it led to many other great things for her. <laughs> oh, dear. But in any case, Stephen, we're gathered here today because uh, this episode is being released on Christmas Day. Yes. And uh, I think you have a story from one of your past Christmas experiences to share with us, yes? Yeah, that, that's right. In fact, uh, I was just thinking, David, for the people who listened to uh, Once in a Lifetime, which was episode seven, Yeah. this story actually transpired 10 days before once in a lifetime, right? Because once or a week, but yeah, because once in a lifetime was New Year's Eve. This was the Christmas before that day. And uh, actually, it wasn't Christmas, it was Christmas Eve in Topanga. And it was a party of about 12 friends. And we had a turkey dinner with all the trimmings and apple pie and bottles of wine and homemade jalapeno jam. 
And I remember we were sitting around the fire drinking buckets and buckets of cowboy coffee, listening to Bob Dylan's Blood on the Tracks, when one of my pals came out of the kitchen with a huge smile on his face and said, attention, everyone, I have an announcement to make. We all paused in the merriment. He continued, my Christmas gift to you all has come a little bit early, but to brighten up the holiday, I've just put LSD in all of your coffees. I stared into my now empty coffee mug, and different phrases popped into my mind like, kill him, kill him, kill him now. Uh, with friends like this, you don't need enemies. And why are the lights on the Christmas tree moving around the room? You have to understand that, truthfully, I have never, never, never been a drug person. Even in college, even in the late 60s, I never understood it. Uh, back in the theater department at SMU, the people who did drugs, they, they didn't bathe regularly, and they missed a lot of classes, and they wore odd clothing combinations like T-shirts with top hats, and they listened to lots of FM radio. It all scared me. Later, I learned that the main reason people took drugs in grad school was to watch something called Monty Python's Flying Circus. I had no idea. So I broke down. In 1975, I succumbed to peer pressure and smoked something called hash to watch this program. Now, the show was very humorous in its own right, and mercifully, the hash had absolutely no effect on me at all that time. And the following week, it had no effect on me either. The third week, it had an effect. We were watching the show. We were smoking hash, and then apparently I passed out. That was my friend's version. My version of the story was I was sitting on the couch, which suddenly turned into a large toothless mouth covered with cat hair. It swallowed me, and I slid down an upholstered esophagus lined with chips and beer and landed in the very stomach of hell. That was my version. That was my first high. Since that dark, dark era many years ago, I have been reticent to take drugs, and it disappointed a lot of my drug-taking friends, and I never knew which part of that drug experience they wanted me to revisit, the nausea, the cat hair, or just the loss of consciousness. That's when I became aware of the first law of drug use, that there is no experience bad enough, no decision boneheaded enough that it cannot be revisited often. I counted myself as one of the lucky ones, the only long-term repercussions of those Saturday evenings with Monty Python and the hash pipe was that I did in fact start listening to a lot more FM radio. But I digress. Twas the night before Christmas and I had drunk a mug of LSD and the lights on the Christmas tree were walking around the room, they were changing colors, and my heart was pounding in my ears louder and louder. And, and I was furious that I was ambushed like this over the holidays and I wasn't even visiting my parents. My pal who put the acid in the coffee told me I should calm down and go with the flow. Otherwise, my negative emotions could make the next few hours pretty unpleasant. Unfortunately, this pep talk seemed to spawn a whole new truckload of negative emotions which was way too much of a flow for me to go with. And that's when I started to realize that my brain was too big for my skull and my eyes were starting to pop out of the front of my face. I quietly mentioned this to our hostess who was staring at a row of jelly jars in her kitchen. 
she stopped and turned to me and said, Cool, you're starting to rush. I, I, I said, Rush? She said, Yeah, the blood really starts flowing. It can get pretty intense. I said, Intense? Oh, yeah. A uh, question, is that intense good like sex or intense bad like stepping on attack? She pondered her answer, weighing many unseen variables, and then said, well, uh, it's just, well, it's just intense. Yeah. Rule number two of taking drugs. There is no utterance pointless enough or meaningless enough that it cannot be construed as folk wisdom. So I was rushing. It was intense, and in this case, I would consider it intense bad. I thought I was going to have a stroke. My skin was on fire. My hostess advised that what I needed to do was get in a cool, dark place for a while, and that I should pretend like I was a jar of jam, or a crock of pickles, or maybe like a salamander. Now, this sounded good to me. I told her I always liked salamanders. They came in a variety of colors and had cool toes. I could do that. And I should mention at this point in time, I was on my hands and knees crawling on the floor. My hostess left her jelly jars long enough to lead me down a hallway to the guest bathroom at the back of the house. And she said this bathroom had ceramic tiles and it would be very cool and dark and that I should lie down in the coolest, darkest place of the room, which was around the base of the toilet. She soaked a blue towel in cold water and wrapped it around my head like a turban, so I looked like Sabu the Indian boy. I curled around the base of the toilet, and she turned out the lights and told me to rest for a few minutes. She closed the door. I was plunged into utter and complete blackness. If Einstein ever wanted a real-world scenario to prove his theory of relativity, I would offer this. You take a man, you wrap his head in a blue wet towel, you tell him to hug the base of a stranger's toilet in the dark, and I promise you for him, time will stop. In fact, the only way I knew I was still alive is that I was so vigorously kicking myself for coming to this party. I don't know how long I was in the bathroom. But eventually I crawled out. The rushes were gone, and I needed some fresh air. So, turban still in place. I crawled back down the hallway, and I hung a right at the kitchen, bypassing all the laughter that was coming from the living room, and I headed for the back porch. I opened up the screen door. I crawled outside and sat next to the dog of the house. His name was Manny Moore. He was one of those shepherd mixed dogs that always wear the red bandana and ride in the back of pickup trucks. In his younger days, he probably chased a lot of frisbees on the beach, but now he was content to do what most country dogs end up doing, which is panting and scratching. I went out and started talking to Manny. I said, Manny, you know I don't know you very well, but I feel there's no time like the present. Manny, you are so noble, so wise. You know, we haven't spent a lot of time together in the past, and I want to take this opportunity here on this beautiful night to tell you that I envy your peace of mind, your tranquility. And at this point, Manny turned to me and said, Stephen, Stephen, I have no peace of mind. 
you have no idea what you're talking about. We both look out into this night, but from different perspectives. You see, Stephen, I have keener senses than you do. My sense of smell, my hearing. I know, for example, that there is a coyote right beyond that clump of trees just waiting for me to go too far from the house. And these mountains are filled with predatory birds, hawks, eagles, owls. There's danger everywhere out in the dark that I can sense that you have no idea is even there. That is why you romanticize the night. I don't. I know the night for what it is. But you humans, you take all of your poetry, all of your art, all of your music. It all arises from your weakness, your desire to romanticize the night. I went, wow, Manny, you are right. And here is rule number three of doing drugs. If you're doing drugs and the dog talks to you, always listen to the dog. My moment with Manny Moore was interrupted by a wave of laughter from inside the house, and I stood up for the first time in seemingly hours and walked back in to see what all the hilarity was that I was missing, and I had missed a lot. Someone had accidentally set the house on fire. There was a line of all my friends laughing uproariously as they shook their beers and tried to squirt the fire out. Finally, the host and hostess threw big pans of water on the wall, leaving it smoldering, <laughs> wet, black mass. And here is rule number four of using drugs. It is perhaps the most important rule of all. No one is to blame for anything, ever. It's a world without consequences. This, I believe, is the key to all addiction. Physical dependence can eventually be overcome through abstinence, but drugs create a more enticing arena where we become addicted to the drama of our own bad choices. I wandered away from the group and into the deserted living room. I sat on the floor and watched my friends, the Christmas trees, the smoke. I looked at the ornaments on the tree, some of which were handmade. I thought about Christmas. And I thought about what a special time of year it is. I thought about how far we'd come from that first Christmas so long ago in Bethlehem. But then I thought, maybe not. After all, Jesus was born in a stable, not unlike Topanga, sort of. Animals figured prominently in that story, too. And in all the Renaissance paintings, Joseph is usually sitting alone in a blue turban with a confused look on his face that seemed to say, what the hell is going on here? The first rays of sun came over the Santa Monica Mountains. Night was officially over. It reminded me of the fifth rule of doing drugs. The sun will eventually rise. The party will eventually end. Return to the world of consequences and regret is inevitable. And that was the bottom line of it all. Inevitability. For the person who doesn't believe in God, for the person who has no faith, the handiest substitute for the eternal is the inevitable. And for that, the sun will do as well as any other deity. I staggered out to my car. My thighs ached. It was explained to me later that was because of the strychnine used in making the LSD, that probably my legs would be sore for the next two or three days. It was a small price to pay for an evening that set a new benchmark for terror and personal shame. I took a deep breath. 
It was Christmas morning. The road would be empty. The highway would belong to me. In the quiet of my car, I recalled the final rule of using drugs. Conserve your strength, because you'll need all of that energy to try to forget what just happened. I backed out down the dirt driveway, and as I headed for the main road, through my rearview mirror, I saw a patch of red moving through the tall brush. It was a bandana. I stopped the car. I turned and looked. Through the rising dust, I saw Manny Moore. He was wandering off into the foothills, off to explore by light of day the dangers that we could only romanticize at night. That was A Christmas Memory, a story told by actor Stephen Tobolowsky. Stephen, I hope that this Christmas, whenever or wherever you have it, uh, is much better or perhaps uh, much more sedate, sober than that one. I guarantee it's going to be more sober. And <laughs> consequently, it's going to be much more sedate. Well, that, um, is, that is good to hear, especially now that you're a family man, Stephen. But, yeah, thank uh, <laughs> you. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, I have to I have to intervene here with with some late breaking news. Recently, we we had just posted episode seven once in a lifetime, and I got several emails and comments as to what the heck is the song that opens the beginning of episode seven. And I realize a lot of times the people may not know our process. David, I, I write these stories, then we record them, and then at a later point we add the music. The music we had added was from a recording of the band I was in when I was a freshman in college. That would be 1970. And that song is called I Heard a Voice Last Night. It was written by Bobby Foreman and Jim Rigby. Now, Bobby Foreman went on to become a member of the new Christie Minstrels, and I think he played in Las Vegas. Jim Rigby became a Presbyterian minister. What is notable about this particular song and about the guitar work on the song is that it features a 14-year-old Stevie Ray Vaughan. This is, as far as I know, the absolute first recording ever made of Stevie Ray Vaughan. He was a kid. Bobby Foreman introduced him to the group as saying, uh, this kid, Stevie Vaughan, he's really good. He sat on a metal folding chair and blasted out the burning licks on this song. Uh, so as you listen to it, I am 19 years old at this time, and I am playing uh, some of the background rhythm guitar. Bobby Foreman is playing uh, the main rhythm guitar. Stevie Ray Vaughan is playing our lead guitar, and as a Christmas gift to everybody out there. So at the end of today's podcast, we are going to include I Heard a Voice Last Night from 1970, in its entirety, and Merry Christmas to everybody. Excellent. Well, that is a, a good present for especially the blues fans out there, which I am one, and Stevie Ray Vaughan fans as well. 
but in any case, uh, let's wrap things up for this episode. You know, before we go today, I just want to thank everyone. Uh, it has been quite a year. We launched this podcast a few months ago, and uh, we do want to thank everyone for listening and for sort of uh, giving this experiment a shot. Um, obviously, I don't think either of us knew the, how things would turn out when we started, but I think the, the Tobolowsky Files has really blossomed into something that people have told us anyway has become uh, meaningful for their lives. So we're grateful for each person that listens and, and writes in each week. Uh, and speaking of writing in, uh, how can people reach you, Stephen? I think the most delightful way for people to reach me is at stephentobolowski at gmail.com, and that's S-T-E-P-H-E-N, T as in Tom, O-B as in boy, O-L-O-W-S-K-Y, the Russian spelling, at gmail.com. And people can also follow you on Twitter, right? You know, homie, don't play this game. (laughs) Yes, I'm a Twitter, but I can never remember. I'm going to tattoo it on my hand as to how do people reach me at Twitter, David? Well, first of all, Stephen, uh, Sammy Jenkins, he wrote too many tattoos, <laughs> and that was, that was his problem. Uh, that's what led to his undoing, if you recall. But in that's... any case, uh, you can reach Stephen on Twitter at twitter.com slash Tobolowsky. That's just Tobolowsky, T-O-B-O-L-O-W-S-K-Y. You can reach me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chen, S-K-Y. And you can email me if you'd like at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. You can also find the other uh, podcast I do at slashfilmcast.com. All of this, of course, hosted courtesy of our uh, overlords at slashfilm.com. So that's going to bring us to the end of this episode of uh, The Tobolowski Files. And uh, as we said, uh, after you hear us speak, you're going to hear the blues stylings of a very young Stevie Ray Vaughan. Um, but thank you guys for tuning in this week. Oh, wait, one last thing I forgot to mention. Uh, one thing you guys can do to help us out, go to iTunes, search for the Tobolowsky Files, leave a review on our iTunes page. It really helps us to increase the profile and visibility of the show. If you want more people to listen to the show, which if you're listening, you probably do, right? Uh, go and leave a review for us. We'd really appreciate it. So I think that's about it for today. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a happy holiday, and see you guys next year. Merry Christmas. 